This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Diane McKenzie. Diane is a farmer from Warner, Alberta. She grew up in southern Alberta on a mixed family farm and currently farms with her family, growing grain, feed, forage, and Hereford cattle seed stock. Always interested in why people do what they do, she earned her Bachelor of Psychology with a minor in history and earned great distinction in 2016 from the University of Lethbridge. Continuing her education in the School of Graduate Studies, Cultural, Social, and Political Thought Program, she graduated with her master's in 2021. Diane's research interest is in rural women and their participation in the intergenerational transfer of a family farm. By actively farming with her family, she brings the insider view of asking the tough questions about the inequities for women and girls who farm. Diane and I had a very interesting conversation about the research that she has done and the programming that she is hoping to bring to the agricultural education offerings to continue to ask the tough questions and have the conversations that sometimes we have behind closed doors. So I'm very excited for you to hear this episode today. Before we get to Diane's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's listener review comes from A.L. Pattison via Apple Podcast. And this five-star rating and review is titled, A Community I Didn't Know I Needed. I came across this podcast by accident, but Caitlin had me hooked with the first episode. It's exactly what I need whenever I'm looking for motivation, positive vibes, and validation for my goals. Being a farmer, homesteader, mother, wife, and friend can all be challenging at times. And I find that Caitlin has so many guests that can help 
talk me through those challenging times. I always finish her episodes feeling understood and motivated. I cannot recommend this podcast enough. Well, thank you so much for your kind words over on Apple Podcasts and my friends. I would love if you could leave a few kind words for the show if you are loving it. So please, if you're on an Apple product, head on over and leave a rating and review. You can rate that podcast on Spotify and be active with us on social media. I love connecting with you. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Diane. Hello, Diane. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. I am I'm looking forward to chatting with you and sharing your story. You and I have been connected for some time now, and I know a little bit about you, but I'm excited to dive in and share your story with the audience of the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Me too. So for those who are unfamiliar with you, Diane, give us your background. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. Well, I'm I'm from southern Alberta. I grew up on a farm kind of up in the Champion, Alberta, Stavely, Alberta area. Grew up on a mixed farm. I went to attended Olds College after high school and received a diploma there. And then I went to SAIT and received a diploma there. And then I got married. I moved to Warner, Alberta, Southern Alberta, and have been here ever since. So close to, well, actually not close to, it's been 40 years. We, I raised three boys. My husband started a business off farm about 25 years ago, a little bit longer. So I was at the time I was actually had a retail business in Lethbridge, but I sold that to my sister-in-law and then um, who was my partner. And then um, I would been focused on the focused on the farm management and I guess helping out with the other business as well. Yeah, and then as the boys grew and started to get semi-launched, I guess I had wanted to, to I guess that's I don't know. I always kind of had a degree in psychology in the back of my mind, so I just decided to stick my foot in a little bit and started taking some night classes at Lethbridge College, and then I yeah. Did a two and two, two at the college, two at the university. Well, my two was more like six. <laughs> but anyways, and then I did get my degree in psychology with a minor in history. And then, yeah, through that whole process, I got interested in, in doing research and then um, started an MA in cultural, social, and political thought. And then I just finally finished that summer of 2021. That is a lot. That is a long history of being in agriculture in Alberta here. Tell us more about your, the farm that you grew up on. What was that like for you? And what was your role as a young woman on your farm? Uh, well, you know, of course, in retrospect, it was very, 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 very traditional. You know, I, I loved it. I 
I enjoyed the animals. We, you know, had cattle and and horses for pleasure. In high school, I high school rodeoed. You know, it was a it was a different time for sure. We were in a fairly isolated, a little bit isolated. Like we were about eighteen miles, I think, from town, or the town that we went to school in. But we had a community hall still, and yeah, so there was a real sense of there was a lot of you know community showers community dances i i don't know what now that i guess it because it's the season i remember one christmas but we were all there and of course it was always potlucks and all of a sudden i heard my dad's voice and he was calling a square dance i didn't even know that he could do that but anyways so it was a type of yeah it was just you know old school go to town once a week other than going to school and lots of relatives around, you know, and we, uh, yeah, all worked helping on the farm, of course, as we grew up. Yeah, it was, it was good. I have lots of great memories. Yeah. And tell us now about your current farm and what you're raising and growing out near Warner. So um, my husband's family has been in this area, you know, since, I don't know, I think his grandmother came and oh seven or oh nine or something so uh, several generations of uh, Mackenzie's here we have a mixed farm as well and so we raise we have some irrigation we raise purebred Hereford cattle or seed stock and then you know pasture up on the Mount River Ridge and some fields for raising feed for cattle a little bit of grain farming, but the focus is more on uh, on the livestock. I should, yeah, I should say too that the last probably four or five years, I've certainly stepped back. Our oldest son came back to Warner, and he and his family are are managing the the farm. That has to make you feel a little bit good to have one of the boys come back and want to continue the legacy that you and your husband and generations before built. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we do have three boys, so it, it is complex and but yeah, we've kind of followed the traditional traditional route to a certain extent. And yeah, it's lovely. They just live just down the road from us. Our our youngest son has actually moved back to the community too and he operates wells here and our Neil son is um, actually works for Ad Farm in uh, in Calgary. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Diane, you mentioned a bit about always having the idea of getting a psychology degree in the back of your mind. What inspired you to actually jump in and go back to school as what we used to call in post secondary a mature student? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. I don't know. I just uh, I just wanted to do it. Uh, it was just a goal that, as like I said, as the family got a little bit older, I just felt that it was a goal that I had time to to try to reach. You know, and of course, I wasn't. I wasn't really. I was, you know, very unsure or whatever of uh, jumping back. You know, as a mature student, I mean, that's kind of a thing. But really, it isn't. You just show up like everybody else and go to class and do the work and 
Yeah, it was good. As I and then when I got to university, you know, and I was still sort of I was still focused more on the psychology and I and neuroscience and that type of thing. And but once I decided to branch out a little bit, you know, the University of Lethbridge is sort of noted for its um, you know, more liberal education and and I started taking some history classes and, you know, meeting some different professors and I guess, you know, it, things started to get more personal, I, I think. And I was lucky in that they were very encouraging. And yeah, I got me involved in some really interesting projects. One being the 50 Voices for the University of Lethbridge's 50th anniversary. Yeah, so I just, I guess, socially started to kind of know more people. And, you know, they just included me in some really interesting oral history projects. And one thing sort of led to another. I don't know if I answered your question, sorry. You did, yeah. But, <laughs> but what prompted me, but yeah, at the same time almost, kind of intertwined at the same time, we were doing more and more succession planning or trying to kind of, and reaching out to different people in the industry. And there is a man whose name is Gordon College who has been in Lethbridge for a long time and acted as a facilitator and, and has done lots of speaking and stuff about farm succession. This is in the, in the past. And I was meeting with him about our farm. And then he was a mature student too. And then we just ended up, we had a lot in common. And he sort of suggested to me, I guess, that I, you know, consider maybe doing some facilitating or, you know, some more classes, I guess, in that kind of in that direction. And then I did do an independent study with him and followed him to some of his succession planning meetings. Yeah, so same thing. I just thought was kind of where the the women in egg and farm transition, I, I think that was sort of the, I don't know if you want to call it the birthplace or, or whatever, but Gordon certainly, you know, was integral in starting to go that direction. Right. So tell us more about the research that you did uh, while you were doing your master's, specifically around women in agriculture and girls in agriculture. Yeah, well, I was I was getting more interested in women's history. And then, you know, that was kind of tying to, like I said, the Center for Oral History and Tradition at the university and doing using oral history as a research method. So I was kind of honing, honing that a little bit as well. But yeah, so between the conversations and the studying I was doing with Gordon, and then I took an oral history course from Heidi McDonald and and part of that project was doing an interview. So I interviewed a woman uh, who farmed and had been very active in farm women organizations like of yesteryear, right? She was into her 80s, well into her 80s, I think, when I interviewed her. So that got me more and more interested in, I guess, kind of the history and I suppose the neglected history 
of women, I guess, like you, I thought I want to let women tell their stories, tell me about their experiences on family farms and the history, like their version of the history of their family farms that they farmed or, you know, grew up on. Yeah. So then, and I, I, my question for my thesis was how does the current reproduction of gender norms impede women's participation in the intergenerational transfer of the family farm? So I also decided to interview generational cohorts. So I did a younger group, kind of a middle-aged group and an and a older group because I wanted to examine or you know, I, I wanted to consider how some of these norms are passed generationally. So that's what I kind of struck out to do. Yeah. And that's a huge question, Diane. That is a big <laughs> question to do. And there's so many complex layers. And like you said, I, I just think doing them in cohorts is is brilliant because each generation obviously you hope that there's going to be some change and some improvement, but you know, you're know you probably likely to see the repetition of some norms from generation to generation. So was there anything in your research that specifically surprised you, whether in a good way or maybe a negative way? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I suppose I, the interview process was, which, you know, same, I guess you already know this, like it's such a privilege and so very, very interesting to talk to women. And it was easy, um, or it felt easy to me, you know, because of my, I guess, you know, being an insider. You know, it, it was just, they were so, everyone was so welcoming and but of course, I mean, we can, you can always talk about the weather and you can always talk about your farm and you can always talk about, you know, children and, and other, you know, family members because there's just so many familiar themes, I guess. I interviewed women in Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Yeah, so it like I said, it was just it was just such a, a pleasure. I guess one of the surprises, maybe I don't know if it was a surprise or if it was just something that I I just right away noticed was how much the women, how often they used the word love in the interviews, and I ended up I it wasn't the only thing I did analysis of, but. I did end up theming to a certain extent, well, actually to, to quite a bit of an extent. <laughs> and it was the speaking of love was about the love of land and the love of family farm lifestyle and their love of different concepts of legacy. So same thing. It was it was so interesting because I really struggled because in a sense, because it was such a personal, you know, what they were sharing. And yet, you know, it seemed very important. 
So it took me a while to even decide whether I was going to talk about that, but I, I did. It ended up being a major part of the analysis and um, and just how it reflects on the outcomes of family farms and the generational turnover of family farms. Yeah. And those points that you made of the love of land, family, lifestyle, and legacy, like you said, those are those are major and they are very personal. And it's it's interesting to me. I don't know in any other industry if those would be major hot topics if you talk to generational, you know, from different businesses, right? Because essentially our family farms, they're businesses, but they're so intertwined as a family business. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, my interest is in psychology was because I am interested in why people do what they do. And, you know, I think that ended up reflecting itself in, in what I was listening to. And it just is so important and to me, so overlooked because, of course, we base a lot of our decisions on how we feel and how we make other people feel. Were there any areas that you noticed, and this could be, I guess, from the different cohorts, were there any notable areas of growth that you found from the generation to generation of women specifically? Any growth in, like, in the sense that women are becoming more... I would say becoming more, I think for me, like when I think of the older generation of of women in agriculture, and this obviously could be a bias of mine, is not having that leadership in their operations and more or less taking that back seat. Are the younger women, was there growth in the generations of the younger women stepping up and saying, no, I want you know, the, a bigger piece of the pie here when it comes to legacy and land ownership. Yeah, there's definitely shifting happening. There's, you know, the, to me or to in my understanding of what I, from the interviews, I think each generation carries a lot of the tradition, you know, and the younger generations are more conscious like all the generations were conscious like we're openly conscious about inequities in family farming but of course you know you know so much you know things are are different i mean but i you know when younger women i guess you know a lot of them well not a lot of them but some for sure are working on and off farm as well so that adds to the complexity of their lives you know but i i do feel like that complexity and i put this it is it's like an addition for them it's like okay yeah you can you can be a farmer and you can also work off the farm you know but there's not a lot of recognition that that doesn't really help with equity issues (laughs) you know it's just they're just burdened with more, not necessarily recognized that they're already, you know, they're already doing all the domestic work, usually the productive work. 
reproductive work, you know, the emotional labor, that's kind of like, yeah, you're a farmer now too. Yay. (laughs) On top of all of the other things that you have to be responsible for. (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, it's just a, you know, and and it's just an overdue, like a centuries overdue recognition that women are farmers. So I guess that's some, you know, that's gaining, I, I don't know, is that, I guess it's gaining some ground? In my mind, I would say yes, because in my own personal situation, the generations of women on this farm prior to me did not consider themselves to be farmers, whereas they did the same, if not more, than what I had done on this farm. And I consider myself to be a farmer because I grow food to feed people on top of all of the other things that we have to do. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, like personally, too, this like it doesn't even sound believable, but I would say, you know, it wasn't until the last 10 years when somebody asked me what I did that I said I was a farmer. You know, it was more like, I never knew for sure exactly. It was just like I was some kind of appendage of the operation, but I didn't know how to define myself. So I guess, yeah, that is that is gaining. That is a gain for sure. And, you know, and don't like even as far as succession, you do see a little bit more where maybe women are being well, girls are being seen as potential farmers, like potential inheritors, potential successors of farm legacy. But that is, you know, in my research, like when I asked if anybody knew of any, you know, maternal patterns of of succession, you know, no one knew of anyone for more than like one or two generations that a farm was, you know, the primary operator was female and the land was passed to daughters generationally. Right. And I feel like through the stories that I hear and through social media, I see that happening more often now than, like you said, generations past. And one comment that I've heard multiple times, even to this day, is women who give birth to daughters and the comments are, well, are you hoping for a son so you can have the next generation of farmer? And, you know, these are still comments that are made today and whether they're made as a joke or not, it's, I feel like that could be, you know, a social norm that could can go away anytime now because, <laughs> you know, obviously women are capable of being primary operators of operations and continuing a legacy if that's what they choose to do. Yes. Yeah. And I and I mean, absolutely. And, you know, in theory, it should be happening 50% of the time. Yeah. But we're very, very long ways from anything that looks anything like that at all. And granted, too, women, there are, there is a slight increase in women becoming primary operators, but often, from what I can see in the statistics that are gathered, is that they're 
you know, there are different types of farm. There's small farms, organic farms, and not necessarily, you know, started through a generational inheritance. So, you know, and when I say inheritance, I don't mean just, you know, just somebody giving it to you either, like some type of, you know, a plan that is, well, I mean, it's, you know, a, a huge benefit financially or, you know, it makes it possible for the next generation to farm. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. Diane, what, what are some repetitive social behaviors that you found in your research that have held women back in agriculture? Well, the one thing I ended up focusing on a certain amount was just representations of women in agriculture. So I took with me a picture. So it's a fold-out ad. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. You know, with generational sort of a it's, uh, you know, then you get the modern version. Right. Um, who who did that ad, Diane? Uh, this is uh, BASF. Okay. It's a little bit older now. I'm going to, um, I'll Google it and I'll put it in the show notes so people can see it. Oh, okay. So I just asked the women, you know, what came to mind when they saw those, saw a picture like that. So... <laughs> Anyways, it you know, same thing. There's a lot of emotion in those pictures, um, a lot of nostalgia, so much legacy. This is what a family farm looks like. And I, same thing, I think it, it is changing a certain amount. You do see women, you know, sort of throwing in there in the discourse. You know, I would I would argue that there's still a very, very long ways to go. I, I think in my just, you know, just anecdotal observation, it looks to me like a lot of those farm marketing, they're just taking people out of the picture. There's no women or men in the picture. Or there's men. Or there's a woman, but there's a man, looks like a man explaining, you know, to her how it all works. So as much as that just seems like, you know, well, that's just the way it is and yada, yada. Those patients, you know, tell us who we are. You know, they tell us whether the work we do is important or isn't important. Because, you know, for the most part, you know, women have historically been invisible in that, in the farming discourse. So there's. There's that same thing. Sorry, you asked me stuff. <laughs> I'm not. I get ranting, and I'm not sure if I'm even answering the question. But oh, you were talking about things that we could. Well, what are the repetitive social behaviors you found? Yeah, so obviously media is one of them. 
Yes. You know, and, and with social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you know, and of course, egg has always had a lot of print stuff and still does. And as much as I do read some things that are encouraging to me as far as women's representation, it's not encouraging how much negativity there is around representations of women in farming. And there's a lot of assessment as whether they qualify or don't qualify to be farmers. Yeah, so it's, you know, whether it's a norm that's changing, you know, there's days to me it feels just more like it's kind of shape-shifting than changing maybe. Yeah, it. I think definitely, you know, we we base a lot of value on, unfortunately, what other people think of us and how other people view us. And when we think of media and what we see and what we hear in the media, whether we're farmers or not, we're told who is a farmer and who is not a farmer based on who's wearing what hat in what field, standing by what color of combine. And I think of, you know, myself as a a woman in agriculture, it hasn't really relatively hasn't been that long for me. But in the last six years, the changes that have been made, but there's still so far to go. You know, we're representing women in agriculture now, but we are representing us one specific type of woman in agriculture. And, you know, being the tall blonde farmer that I am, like there's a lot of me being represented out there, but there's so many other women who don't see themselves in these ads and they don't see themselves viewed as an important part of their operation based on on the media that we're sharing and based on what we share ourselves on social media. Right, right. Yeah, so, and, and you know, the women I, the women I interviewed were... Well, I call them, you know, or call them boots on the ground. So it, it's really complex because, of course, you know, they they aren't the only women in agriculture. And many of the boots on the ground farmers are also, you know, in, you know, the broader agribusiness world. And there has been, as you know, quite a bit of focus on, you know, advancing women is the term that you know, was pretty popular for quite a while in agriculture. And while that's good, I think there's levels of, you know, there's levels of inclusion that are are quite a bit, maybe, you know, quite a bit deeper than just, you know, there's quite a few more layers to consider, both in agribusiness and for women who, you know, like I said, are kind of like boots on the ground farming. But because the representation, as I said, you know, it 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 tells us who we are and where we are in the, I guess, basically the, you know, the hierarchy of who makes the decisions in agriculture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How can we challenge ourselves, Diane, to create new space or improve the space for women and girls in agriculture today? Well, I've spent a a lot of time thinking about this, and I just always have ended up back at my own, you know, what what happened for me. And I, I, 
I do that because as I said, I, I probably couldn't, you know, I, I don't know that I, it, I very traditional farm agricultural upbringing. I've lived a, a very traditional, traditional farm life. And I, I, for me, you know, it was, it was incremental because it, because like I say, because it is such a multi-dimensional, you know, concept or problem or, or what, like women's inequities in, in agriculture. I just sort of, things just happen incrementally for me. And one of the first things I think that, that kind of the light came on one day was how privileged I am, you know, and so that's sort of, you know, in conflict with how I would feel a lot of days, <laughs> you know, because of, you know, farming certainly was stressful, you know, weather and finances and, uh, you know, just all the farm stuff that just didn't, I guess, jive with me that somehow, you know, I was privileged. And, and so when I, when I finally realized how privileged I was to, you know, to live in Canada and own land and, and be able to do all the things I could do, I think I just kind of started to dial in a little bit more, you know, and, and like I said, on in women's histories and, and, and about how privileged, not privileged, you know, women's histories have really been denied in, in many ways. When I interviewed the women and asked them about their history and their history of their family farms, you know, they were, they were primarily father stories, great-grandfather, you know, had immigrated to an area. And then this father, you know, did this and that father did that. And, and not to say that that, you know, I guess it's the other thing I learned is that I can, you know, I can hold two things at the same time. I can, I can talk about how things are father stories. And I'm not doing that in a, in a critical way, or in a way that says that shouldn't have been or whatever. I'm saying it in a way that I'm asking where were the women in those stories and how did they participate and, you know, and how can you participate differently in the future? Like what shifts, you know, in, in thinking and awareness need to happen. And for me, yeah, that just, the things just kind of, have come a little bit at a time and then came through the interviews when, you know, it's, it's blatantly obvious that if you want to be a farmer, you need access to land. If you, you know, you want to be represented differently, you know, a lot of people's minds and, you know, just their it's not even so much a bias as it just is. That's just the consciousness. And I know that because that was mine too. I would have looked at that ad 10 years ago and just got warm and fuzzy and thought, oh, isn't that nice? And that reminds me of my dad, my grandpa. And, you know, I now though, I examine it at a, at a different level. And I, I think that's, what needs to happen is the we just have to we have to dig a little deeper. We have to really question 
tradition, but we can still hold tradition and still love tradition. Yeah. I think what you said about you can you can hold two things and two things can be true is so important. And I, I wrote this note down, where were the women in those stories? I think that is such a powerful question that we can ask ourselves and ourselves as storytellers of our farm and our legacies to remember to include those stories when you are sharing about your grandfather or his grandfather. Where were the women in those stories and in that legacy of of bringing this farm to where it is today? And I know, I think it's it's simple enough to share these stories and not even question about where the women were because we just knew that they were there, but they were in the background. And, you know, we do this, we're doing this now, and you've done this work and this incredible research to show that these women are here and we're here to share our stories and that our stories are pivotal of where agriculture is today. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, it's just changes, you know, it's hard and it's slow and, you know, same thing, just such, I don't know, it just seems so simple to me now that I cannot like something and like it at the same time. And, you know, I think that's, you know, maybe where a lot of pushback comes from is that, you know, maybe we don't feel that we can do the same thing at the same, we can feel two things this at the same time. Like, you know, am I angry about the way, you know, our family farm, you know, like that I grew up on the way things turned out there? Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of am, but I don't have to be mad at my dad or be mad at my mom or, do you know what I mean? Like it was the way it was to some extent. And, you know, I think it's just important to, to think about how to, how to change that. So that these legacies, you know, aren't just getting everybody's getting mad and the legacy is being defended and you know stomp off into the future but yeah so it's hard work I I think emotionally it's it's hard work and not everybody can farm right it's just you know unless the whole system really changed and somehow miraculously we all started going back to small mixed farms I mean lots of boys or men don't get an opportunity to farm either. So it's not like it's a simple solution, but uh, the complexities I think need to be, you know, looked at and, and that you don't just, people don't just change just thinking about it for five minutes. It's a, you actually have to dedicate some time to, to learn and think and, and do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Diane, what is is next for you? You've uh, you've completed your master's, and uh, what is next for you in the world of women in agriculture? Well, um, <laughs> I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'd like to get out, kind of more in the industry, and and talk about these things about inequity, about farm family legacies. And I, I did put on a conference, a family farm forum. That was a, just before 
uh, COVID. And that went over well, uh, was well received. And I've developed a, a workshop about, you know, these things that we've talked about today, you know, for agribusiness or, you know, groups of women or, you know, even board if they're interested in working to be more inclusive. So it's, you know, I'd like to introduce some of those concepts to them. And yeah, I don't know, I plod along and I, I, when I was done school, I kind of jumped into some community projects here. I'll put a plug in because we bought the Warner Hotel and Tavern that had gone defunct. And so we're trying to fix it up and hopefully find somebody to lease the space from us to get the business back on downtown uh, Main Street here. So I'm really interested. I'm just really interested in in rural life and and the politics of rural living and small community and stuff. So that is on my plate. And I just got notification I'm starting a course at the graduate level on qualitative interviewing. So I'm just sticking my toe in there again because I want to do some more research really badly. But of course, in order to do that, I have to right. <laughs> apply to a PhD program. So I'm, I kind of, I just, I'm, I'm starting out that way, and and we'll see what happens. And I'm also have been thinking about developing a course at college level or the university level about women in agriculture. And I need to get serious and do that. I just met with one of my old supervisors the other day. And and I think I'm going to head that direction too to see if I can uh, get a course accepted and, and, yeah, and teach a course about women in ag. That's amazing. That would be incredible and much needed in any ag school. Yeah, I think so. It certainly has been you know, it's a big part of ag that's been overlooked and misunderstood for a long time. For sure. Mm-hmm. Diane, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? Mm. Oh, I always get all emotional when <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how I am. What's the most, yeah, what's the best part? Yeah, what's the most rewarding part for you? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it it has a it has a lot to do with uh, legacy, I think. You know, and family, and yeah, it's just like I said, I'm I'm kind of a goal setter, and I think yeah, to see you know this sounds this sounds and it is so traditional, but to see you know, our oldest come home and, you know, be interested. He's a great cattle person. He does a really good job. And I know that I had something to do with that. I really do love, you know, the opportunity that I had as the women I interviewed to raise a family in a small community, small rural community. I think that's a very, 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 very privileged way to be able to to raise a family. And yeah, and my reward, I guess, is are those things. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, and to contribute to, you know, I like, I like to think that my contributions 
uh, make a difference, you know, and as far as my research anyways, and, you know, will, you know, theoretically make things better. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. my reward. That's mm-hmm. great. For those listeners who would like to connect with you online, Diane, where can they find you? Well, I have a website. It's just dianemckenzie.ca. And I'm on Twitter a bit, mostly retweeting stuff, but that's Diane McKenzie at her farm story. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Those are more just personal accounts and community stuff, I guess, on there too. Perfect. And I will link your website and all of those good things on the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing your story and your knowledge and your research with us here today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, Caitlin. I I, I appreciate your interest and yeah, enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.